when the Lord first spoke through Hosea. The Lord said to Hosea, Go, take for yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, daughter of Diblain, and she conceived and bore him a son. That is how the book of a very influential Israelite prophet named Hosea begins. Hosea is important to the history of biblical ideas, particularly because he seems to be the first prophet to clearly express the depth of God's commitment to his people, the people of Israel. In particular, he understands that relationship through the metaphor of a marriage relationship and the love and commitment that is able to take that relationship through difficult times. But Hosea's great insight into the nature of God's steadfast loving kindness didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of his personal experience, specifically out of his marriage to a woman who he publicly calls a wife of whoredom. Now there is a good basis for a perfect marriage, if ever there was one. Hosea and Gomer's marriage was, to say the least, a pretty rocky affair. But it was a significant one if, as it seems, its various ups and downs led to a significant insights into the nature of God. But we really only get one side of the story of their marriage in the Bible. And I have learned that there is almost never just one side of the story of what went wrong in a marriage relationship. Isn't it time to hear Gomer's version? Today's episode of the podcast comes with a trigger warning. This episode does contain an account of sexual assault and violence, and yes, that is only because that is exactly what is recounted in the Bible. This is another extremely biblical episode of Retelling the Bible. Episode 2.10, Gomer's Me Too Moment. was 14 years old when she was married to Hosea, a man over twice her age. She had never met him before. He came from the next village down the road. She didn't know what he looked like, much less what kind of a person he was. There was, in other words, absolutely nothing unusual about their marriage at all. But despite that, Gomer always felt right from the beginning that there was something strained about their marriage. Part of the strain certainly came from Hosea's religious devotion. He was committed, and I mean really committed, to the worship of his chosen God, who was Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now, Gomer had no problems with that. She had always heard and learned good things about Yahweh and how he was devoted to his people. But 
she couldn't help but feel that Hosea went a little bit overboard in his devotion. He continually insisted that Yahweh was the only God that any Jew could serve. Gomer just hadn't been raised that way. She had been taught that the only way to live a well-balanced life was to give proper honor to all the gods when that honor was due. When you were in a place that was sacred to a god, it was just good manners to sacrifice to her or him. And of course, it wasn't just places that could belong to certain gods, but also certain times and seasons and special occasions. That was why, in the first year after they were married, she didn't really hesitate when planting time came around and she had a chance to attend the fertility rites of Baal. Hosea had left town for a few days to attend to some family matters, and she went with a few friends to the next village. It was kind of exciting and frightening at the same time. There were sacrifices and rhythmic dancing and drumming, and the wine was flowing pretty liberally. By the time the sun had gone down and the fires had been lit, Gomer felt as if she had lost all of her inhibitions, and she was ready for anything. She couldn't say that she enjoyed what happened in the dark of the night, but it wasn't about enjoyment. It wasn't really personal. Nobody really knew who they were mixing with in the dark, especially as many of the men wore masks of the god and the women wore veils. As their bodies met in the night, there were many kisses and caresses, also groping, and occasionally a couple would go all the way. But it wasn't about pleasure. Not really. Not for most. It was an act of devotion. A service to the God to ensure a good harvest. It was an act of service to the whole community when you thought about it that way. When Gomer returned home afterwards, she still felt that she had done a good thing. But she really didn't feel all that good about it. It clearly wasn't her kind of thing, and she doubted she would ever go again. When Hosea found out about it, however, he was furious. He yelled at her, ranted, and raved at her for about an hour. That was no fun. But that probably would have been the end of it if he had left it at that. But he was Hosea, the chosen prophet of Yahweh. Nothing that happened to him was merely a personal matter. So it was that a few hours later, Hosea stood up in the marketplace and loudly announced, My friends and neighbors, you know me. You know my devotion to the great God, Yahweh, who is faithful to me. You've probably also heard by now, for I know that these things spread like wildfire, that my wife, Gomer, is a wife of whoredom. Lest you think that you can laugh at me for how she has treated me, lest you think that you may laugh at my God, Yahweh, know this. It was Yahweh's plan. It was the Lord who said to me that I must take a wife of whoredom who would bear to me children of whoredom. This has all happened so that I might know and that you might know how it is that Yahweh feels when his children are unfaithful to him 
and when you go whoring after other gods. Therefore, I am now going to go to Gomer and teach her that God's love for his people will never fail, no matter how unfaithful they are. What Hosea did to Gomer that night was not considered to be rape, at least not according to the definition of the word at that point in time. According to the law, and to the accepted morality, he had a perfect right to do to her what he did, and she had no right to complain. Today, both legally and morally, we would have to call it exactly that. What's more, we would call it a particularly harsh and mean kind of rape. He left no physical marks on her body. Not that time, anyways. But he left many on her spirit. The way that he continually called her a slut and a whore while he raped her would remain with her for a very long time. The surprising thing, perhaps, was that he really seemed to like it that way. He fell asleep that night with a smug smile of satisfaction and superiority, oh, especially superiority, on his face. It was eight months later, almost to the day, when Gomer presented her firstborn son, tiny but perfect, to her husband, He seemed entranced by the boy and marveled at his tiny fingers and toes. But when he turned from the son to the boy's mother, his face turned to disgust. It was the custom among the tribes of Israel for a mother to offer a name for her child. After struggling for so many hours of labor, Gomer was exhausted but also felt exhilarated by the sight of her child and filled with an overwhelming feeling of love. There was so much love that it even overflowed to splash some of its influence onto Hosea. She told him that she wanted to name the child Jahlil, which means God waits. It was a plea for patience, a hope that if only Hosea could learn some patience, learn not to be constantly looking for God's vengeance for her and the people's failures, things could get better. Hosea had a different idea. He explained nothing while he took the boy from his mother's breast, causing him to wail, of course, and he carried him into the public square. The child's cries soon gathered a crowd, with several old grandmothers crying out to Hosea that the child needed his mother, he needed to nurse. But Hosea ignored their advice, and somehow managed to make himself heard above the noise. Hosea had a penetrating voice, you had to give him that. My whore of a wife has had a child, he announced and his name shall be called Jezreel. The people all gasped when they heard this, and they made a sign against evil, 
for in those days Jezreel was considered to be a name of ill omen. It was at Jezreel that the traitor, Jehu of Israel, completed his coup and became king by slaughtering the beloved Queen Jezebel. You marked my words, Hosea cried over the red-faced child in his arms. The king's house will be avenged for the blood of Jezebel, and they will be defeated at Jezreel. Gomer's second child, a girl, was born two years later. Things were still going well then in Israel. The king was still on his throne despite the terrible pronouncements made by Hosea at the birth of Jezreel. The economy was booming. People were working and everyone, except of course sour-faced Hosea, seemed to look at the future with hope. So it was that Gomer welcomed the birth of her daughter with hope. Perhaps by God's mercy, there would be hope for the future instead of Hosea's dread predictions. So, as she held up her daughter to Hosea, Gomer meekly announced that she should be called Ruhama, Mercy. Hosea, again, sadly did not agree. And the name that he called out for his daughter in the village square that day was Lo Ruhama, no mercy. And Yahweh will show no mercy to Israel, who has been unfaithful to him, he thundered, just like my whore of a wife has been unfaithful to me. The birth of Gomer's third child, her second son, was the hardest of all. The midwife was with her all night long as she struggled to bring the child into the world. Finally, with a great cry that came from the very last of her strength, he came out of her, and she fainted dead away. When she awoke, she felt the warm bundle pressed against her breast and the strong suckling at her nipple and was filled with such an exhilaration of relief and joy that she immediately formed a bond with this child, even greater than she had known with the other two. Her older children had been told almost every day of their lives the very worst things about their mother. Gomer had heard other mothers tell her about how their children loved them, how the first words of their sons or daughters had been mummy or some form of the word. Gomer's son's first word had been whore. At five years old, that was the only word he ever heard his father call his mother. It was still what he called her every day to his father's evident delight. So, in many ways, Gomer already felt that she had lost her first son and would soon lose her daughter. But this child, Gomer vowed, he would be different. This child will be mine, she said to herself, and she defiantly told Hosea that he should be called Ami, which meant my kin, my people. Chapter 2 
She regretted it as soon as she saw the evil glint in Hosea's eyes. This child is the child of a whore, and no child of mine, he said. It was not true. He knew that it was not true. The child could be no one's but Hosea. Yes, she had participated one time, years ago, in the fertility rites of Baal. But she had not gone back. How could she? Hosea's vengeance would have been deadly. Later that day, Hosea announced to the people that his son's name was Lo Ami, not mine, not my people, and declared that his birth signaled that Yahweh had finally rejected the entire nation. she had endured in Hosea's household, Gomer's thoughts had often turned to divorce. What would her life be like, she wondered, if she were freed from the constant message that she received from her husband about her failures and her worthlessness? Of course, it it didn't matter whether she wanted to divorce him or not. She had no control over such a possibility. Only her husband could initiate a divorce on the grounds that he chose. In the early years, while his abuse of her still burned because it was so fresh, she lived in constant expectation that he would come to her with a certificate of divorce. But when it did not happen, the possibility began to recede in her mind. She resigned herself to living for the rest of her miserable life as the wife of Hosea. It came as a shock, therefore, when he did divorce her shortly after Loemi was weaned. Not content to do what any ordinary man would do in this situation and privately inform her of his decision, Hosea dramatized the whole thing in public. He assembled the entire family, Hosea, Gomer, Jezreel, who was now ten years old, Lo-Ruhama, and Lo-Ami, in the village square, and he addressed his children for everyone to hear. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, or I will strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and turn her into a parched land and kill her with thirst. The children, of course, simply stood there, dumb and confused. But Hosea was clearly not expecting them to do anything, and he quickly moved on to the next part of his planned drama. He stood Gomer up in front of the crowd and cried out, Now I will uncover her shame in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. He ripped her tunic open in front of all the people, 
exposing her breasts, exposing all of her nakedness. You want her? You can have her. I will not keep her from her lovers anymore. I divorce her. For two full years, Gomer lived on the streets of her village. She had nothing. No one would have her. No one would take her in. She couldn't work and just in order to stay alive, she was finally reduced to becoming what Hosea had called her for so many years, a prostitute. The men who paid her treated her even worse than her husband had ever done. But she endured it in silence. She almost began to believe that it was only what she deserved, anyways. But that mistreatment wasn't the worst part. The worst part was watching her husband walk through the village. Since the divorce, everything had gone wrong in Israel. The king had finally died after a long and prosperous reign, but his son had sat on the throne for barely half a year before he was murdered in a coup. Ever since, the nation had spiraled ever deeper into chaos and anarchy. Everything that Hosea had said was finally coming true, and he strutted around the town, telling everyone who would listen so. Hosea was constantly talking about their marriage and what he called her terrible infidelities. And the more he told it, the bigger role he gave to Yahweh in it. He proclaimed that he had always known that Gomer was a whore, and that he had married her on God's explicit instruction. He insisted that the children had not been named out of spite, but their births and their names had been ordained from heaven. Most of all, he proclaimed that their personal story and her personal torment wasn't even about them, that it was merely a prophetic sign of what God would do to the nation of Israel that had been so unfaithful to Yahweh, or something like that. Gomer could not help but hear all of this as she spiraled, like the kingdom, into a deep depression. Eventually she was so miserable and so deep in debt that she was sold into slavery, purchased by a pimp who literally put her body up for sale in the marketplace. Her. I'll buy her. How much for that one? Gomer had been languishing in the marketplace for weeks. No one was going to buy her. Everyone saw her as damaged goods. She was getting old. Her hair was graying. Her body, which had birthed three children after all, was far from what it had once been. She had hardly eaten and her health was quickly declining. She had come to expect that she would die here and that, in the end, no one would care. But now, someone actually seemed intent on making the purchase. 
This could mean everything to her, and she snapped out of her despondency long enough to look up and see who her potential savior might be. She might have known. There, haggling with the cellar, was none other than her husband, Hosea. He bought her, and she went home with him in silence. What other choice did she have after all? I wish I could say that Gomer's story had a happy ending. But the most I can say, I guess, is that it wasn't quite as bad as it could have been. First of all, when he took her home, he told her that she would not be able to have sex with him, or with anyone, for a very long time. He vowed that he would not so much as touch her. He said this as if it were a punishment, as if she was being deprived of something that she desperately needed. She found it to be a most blessed relief and rest. For the first time in her life, she knew what it felt like to go for days without worrying about keeping some man sexually satisfied. Of course, Hosea proclaimed in public that what he had done was a great virtue, and that his commitment to love this woman, who was so clearly flawed, was just like Yahweh's commitment to love his people despite all their failings. That was something that had certainly not changed about Hosea. He still got off on feeling morally superior to everybody else, especially Gomer. Over time, Gomer did come to know her children again. Jezreel was working elsewhere, and she saw little of him. But the two youngest were still at home, and they were given a reprieve of their own. Hosea announced that the girl should be known as Ruhama now, and the boy as Ami. This was not, he made it very clear, a concession to Gomer's original wishes for her children, but rather a sign that Yahweh would remember and show mercy to his people, even though they had been unfaithful. A great deal of damage had been done to the relationship between Gomer and her children, but with time she began to build something like a friendship with them. She would never forget the first time Ruhama called her mother. It wasn't a life. Not really. Hosea was respected in the community. All the more, of course, as many of the things that he had warned of had come to pass. The kingdom continued to decline. And it was in such a weakened state that when the Assyrian Empire inevitably invaded, no one believed any more that it would stand. Hosea strutted around town and just loved to tell anyone who would listen, I told you so. So Hosea had a reputation, but Gomer's reputation was so damaged that none of her husband's honor could come back on her. She was shunned by all. She survived, and she was grateful for that. But she felt so very much lost and alone.
the way that Hosea tells it, everything that he did in his marriage to a woman named Gomer was done in direct obedience to God. He says that God specifically told him to seek out a wife who was a harlot and who would give him children of questionable parentage. He tells us, in other words, that the entire marriage was basically a performance piece. It was only carried out to illustrate some divine truths about the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. Well, that may be. Though personally, I suspect that Hosea didn't necessarily get all of his instructions in some direct way ahead of time. Rather, I think, he made his decisions and things happened in his marriage, and over time, he began to perceive messages from God embedded in the things that were happening to him. And that's what made him decide that the whole thing had been planned by God for him ahead of time as an object lesson. And so he announced to everyone that God had indeed instructed him at every step along the path. But however it actually all happened, I've got to ask, where is the sympathy for poor Gomer, whose life was turned into Hosea's object lesson? I'm not saying that Gomer was a perfect wife. I presume that she did do something that Hosea at least interpreted as an act of adultery and may have violated the moral standards of her time, but I can't agree that in any way she deserved a lifetime of abuse and harassment at the hand of her husband. And by the way, I know that the Bible doesn't say that Hosea raped Gomer or that he stripped her naked in public and invited people to rape her. What it does say, however, is that Hosea clearly believed that doing such things was a perfectly acceptable way to deal with someone you thought was guilty of adultery. So you tell me, why wouldn't he have done these things to Gomer? I do believe that there is a positive message in the book of Hosea. There is a beautiful message about God's love for God's people, even after they have broken God's heart with their misbehavior. And I do believe that Hosea received and transmitted that message, and I'm thankful to him for that. But let us not fail to acknowledge that that positive message was filtered through the person of Hosea, and that all of the patriarchal and misogynistic assumptions that he had, that he had been steeped in all of his life, warped that message. And no one paid a bigger price for that warping than Gomer. So let Gomer have her Me Too moment. Let her stand up and name her oppressor. Otherwise, I cannot help but think, what is the point of having a book like Hosea in the Holy Scriptures at all? That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. I'm now working on a monthly schedule for this podcast, and so the next episode will come out on the last Wednesday in August. So I hope that if you enjoyed this story, you will remain subscribed until the next one at the end of next month. In the meantime, tell other people 
and rate and review this episode on iTunes or some other platform to help other people find it. The theme music for retelling the Bible is Ah Da. The mood music for this episode is When the Wind Blows. Both are by Kevin McLeod, licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at incompetech.com. Send your requests, suggestions, comments, and questions to at Retelling Bible on Twitter or to our Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes and commentary for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.